0: are on the line. five oh
1: two you're on the line with noah gardner and jacob hillman on this monday I almost said lance Dahl. I'm so close to i've been so close to lance doing the show with lance so much <laughs> like i was like i looked over i was like wait a minute that's not lance that's jacob hillman on the line with me you're on the line with noah gardner and jacob hillman on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Well, cat's out of the bag. Lance isn't here for the next two days. Church retreat, he'll be back on Wednesday. That's when Lance will be back on the show. Jacob, holding down the fort with me here on the line for the first two days of your work week, Dylan Lark behind the board for us. Jacob, how are you doing?
2: Doing well. Just got back from the beach, but I bet you all had a pretty good time at SEC Media Days, you know, getting to talk to everybody and, and really see what everyone thinks of how the SEC season is going to go and just some fun fun conversations with others
1: 100 percent. it was a different media days without a doubt it was a different media days of course part of that has to do with covid protocol second part of it the way that they even structured the main media room you know there used to be when the players were in there they'd like section them off into the corners they actually had them at a main podium this year there were some minor differences but it was still i i really enjoyed it it was an exceptional week getting to Rub elbows with some of the businesses' best, you know. You, you, early on in your career, when you go to media days for the first time, you look over, you say, "Oh my gosh, that's that's that Chris Doring was in my elevator, you know, like that. That kind of stuff is still always cool for folks out there. But it was a good time, and uh, really enjoyed being there in SEC media days and seeing what the different coaches and the different players had to say. At times, I would fall in love with teams just based off of the things that they were saying. I'm like, hold on, can't vote Tennessee up to third in the SECs. Can't <laughs> no. do that. But see, that's the thing. There were some teams that I thought were super impressive. Tennessee was one of those teams that I was really impressed with. Josh Hypel's opening statement. I was really impressed with how the players emphasized that. And Vellus Jones Jr. and Alante Taylor. Tennessee was somebody that I did not expect to walk into that door. And make me feel comfortable about their culture, but they absolutely walked in the door in Hoover, Alabama. Whatever day it was, I like think it was day two. They came in, and I was like, "This is that this team believes." And I feel like that doesn't
2: matter as much when you have programs like Alabama and Georgia because they're so established we know what we're getting from them but when you have a first year head coach like Josh Heupel, Clark Lee, Brian Harson, and others then it matters a little bit more on their first SEC media day and the impression they make because you don't know anything about them so you learn about them whenever they go and speak to the media. Of course it's probably still all coach speak but it's still a much bigger difference from Gus on to Brian Harson. and that's why it matters.
1: Well when players were st- saying stuff at Tennessee like I'm ready to go to war for that, man. Talking about Josh Heupel, I was like, okay, these guys might be buying in. They do not have if said that with Jeremy Pruitt. No, I don't think they would have. And part of me is like, okay, I'm trying to gauge, like, were they just trained really well? Did they just prepare for media days really well? Are they playing a part really well? But... I don't think that they were I think they really do I think they have been invigorated by Josh Heupel going into the program now how much of that results in wins on the field Tennessee's been playing the whole champions of life we're a fun school vibe for however long it's been It's you know since Butch Jones was there you know what seems like an eternity ago yeah, it does I mean what was that like four years ago it I mean yeah I think it's like 2017 so they've been playing champions of life, and we're a fun school vibe for a while, but it necessarily it didn't necessarily result in wins on the field. So it's still important, and do they have the personnel? But I'll tell you, and, and I didn't even mean for this segment to go this way, but Tennessee was a team that I was uber impressed by when they showed up at the podium, almost to the point where I was like, man, I want to move these guys up in my SEC East predictions on my media ballot. I didn't. I refrained. I was like, I, I can't do this, especially considering all the talk about Joe Milton being the starting quarterback. That was I was no, oh, no, no, no. Like, I, I, I don't know how he's currently being talked about a little bit more than Hendon Hooker. You compare the two quarterbacks last year at their respective locations. I'm shocked that few people are talking about Hendon Hooker and what he did at Virginia Tech versus Joe Milton losing his job at Michigan.
2: Hooker's a lot more exciting for sure than Joe Milton. And I think that it's one of those things where you look at and just you know comparing it to Auburn again. 2013 when Gus Malzahn came in. You start Nick Marshall. He's an exciting quarterback to watch. I don't think you get that out of Joe Milton. Now, of course, not to say it's the wrong decision. We don't know that. But I think that Hooker will be a lot more fun to watch. And, you know, when it comes to Tennessee winning games, I don't think it's going to happen really fast. It's going to take time. And I think Josh Hype has a chance to build a program closer to what it used to be and set themselves up for success.
1: Let's switch gears here and talk a little Auburn football. Of course, there was a Tiger commitment on Sunday. Yesterday, 2022, running back Damari Austin committing to the Auburn Tigers, a four-star. On 24-7 Sports, he's listed as a three-star, but in their composite rankings, he's a four-star. So you look at where he's ranked at right now in their composite rankings, he's 300 nationally. That's borderline a three-star, but still, this is a good get for the Tigers at running back, and I know this is somebody that the program's pretty excited about.
2: Yeah, and I really think that, it's a good thing for momentum because there's all these guys that we're all talking about on the recruiting trail that we think are locks for Auburn, Caden Story being one of them. And it's just, you want to see someone break the seal for these commitments. And I think that this could do it. And especially for it being a public, you know, you saw the video on Twitter of him doing announcing big to big camp. I think that's a big deal. And I think that he could turn into a recruiter like Holton Jariner and, and really, really do the thing. As a player, I think it's a big deal to have a quarterback and a running back kind of leading the charge in that way.
1: Just from watching some film on the guy, and of course, readily available out there on the internet, it's mainly just going to be highlights of any of these recruits that you get out there. But just from watching some of his highlights, and once again, you're not getting the complete picture of a player when you watch their highlights. But from watching Damari Austin, I do see some similarities, and he's sitting at like 5'11, 5'10, something like that, 205 pounds. I see some similarities. I'm not saying he's going to be this player. It's kind of weird that we've already hyped him up to be this to, to this level. Where I, I'm like, hold on, guys, he's, we don't know if he's going to be <laughs> this good. But I see some play style similarities between him and Tank Bigsby. Explosive, not like super high octane straight line speed, but explosive can hit a hole hard. There's some evidence of some good vision there. Extremely physical. I mean, one of early on in his clips, within the first minute, minute and a half of his junior season highlights on huddle. He goes into the hole, and like he stands up like three linebackers or three defenders in the gap, and they can't bring him down, just keeps his legs pumping like pistons, breaks away from three players, and then he's off, and he's gone, and he burns everybody down the sideline. There's a lot of times where you see him outrunning DBs and, and winning foot races and whatnot, so he's fast. I don't want people to think that I'm saying that he's not fast, but what I'm trying to illustrate is he's, he's not a scat back for for Auburn fans' perspective, he's not Corey Grant or, or or he's not Ontario McCaleb when I'm talking about speed. He's fast, but I'm not gonna say that he's, you know, sub four four or, you know, like low four fours in terms of speed. He's got some good speed, some good burst, good physicality. He's slippery, hard to tackle. There's a lot of good qualities there. And words being muttered about words being muttered about him right now. Is all purpose, which is the exact same way that you look at Tank Bigsby.
2: Yeah, Tank Bigsby was on second team all purpose, I believe. He was um, preseason poll. It feels like he will have a chance to complement Tank Bigsby in his freshman year next year. Sean Shivers will be gone, so Jarquez Hunter. I, I can't really think of the other running backs on the on the roster. But I think that'll pretty much be it. That are
1: well, Sean Shivers is gone, and then you got Jordan Ingram came yeah. into the program. You already mentioned Jarquez Hunter,
2: and I, so I think he'll have a good chance unless Auburn brings in an experienced back out of the transfer portal to be that second string running back he'll have his opportunities for sure next year
1: him and Jarquess Hunter are going to be battling it out and I don't know if I see tons and tons of similarities between him and JarQuest Hunter I think there are a few I think they're different backs of course I don't know when I look at Jarquess Hunter if it just shouts all purpose if he reminds me a ton of Tank Bixby right this guy body style, like the way that he looks, frame, and all that. If you want to compare him to a back right out the gates, now once again, I'm not saying he's going to be this good. I, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. But if you haven't watched the guy, if you want me to give you a comparison of play style, I, I still go back to if, if I'm looking at a running back right now, currently, I see a lot of see a lot of Tank Bigsby there.
2: Well, and that's a big thing about being an all-purpose guy is that it's going to give you opportunities. Look at Trey Mason, his freshman year, 2011. He came on the scenes as a kick returner. He returned a kickoff in his first career game against Utah State. And Tank Bigsby, doing that last year, he was a kick returner. And having that ability just puts you on the field, gives you experience, and it shows what kind of player you can be running the ball on the offensive end when you're out there returning kicks.
1: And I like what you said about momentum as well, and we'll get to this later when we're talking about Big Cat Weekend, but something that I've keyed in on and just looking at the list of visitors. This season, 2022, visitors, there was only a handful of four stars. It was primarily three stars of the 2022 recruits that were there. Now, 2023 recruits that were there, primarily there was a handful of five stars and a large group of four stars there from the 2023 class. And then 2024 guys are pretty much unranked at the moment. So what that tells me right now about Auburn's recruiting strategy at the moment, not that they've mailed it in this year, but I think that they have realized quickly that maybe, and this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with folks wondering why Auburn's getting all these three-stars right now, this kind of tells me maybe, and I don't know this for a fact, but what, it, what my perception of it is when I see that is, maybe they see uh, we're really far behind on building relationships with some of these higher-end four-star, five-star prospects this year, Maybe we're a little bit far behind on those guys at the moment. There's not enough time to make up ground to actually go and steal those commitments. Let's just go and see which four stars we can grab at the moment. Let's get some three stars in here, some good depth pieces. Maybe guys that are diamond of the rub types. You know, guys that can end up being gems for you. That you know, if you're an old NCAA football video game fan and you hit scouting the guys, all of a sudden, right. ten overall points better than you thought. You know, find a Randall Cobb in this class, right? Uh, this class, because Randall Cobb was like a two-star, and then look at what he did at Kentucky, right? So find someone like that, and if you hit on a couple of them, then you were successful. And then when it gets towards January and February of next year, after the season ends, you hit the transfer portal hard to fill your needs. That's kind of the new JUCO; it's the transfer right. portal, and it, that that puts Auburn in a situation though now where they have to win now. You absolutely have to win now because you are not going to be successful. In the transfer portal, if you don't put a product on the field this year that grabs recruits' attentions, and if a guy is leaving a program seeking to better his situation, which is what the transfer portal is all about, then you need to put a product on the field that gets guys' attention and says, hey, we're, we're the place where you can come and compete for something and you're going, to, you're going to win some football games, right? That is going to lure people here. When the, when the whole personality of this program has been, we're going to be tough, we're going to be disciplined, and we're going to win football games, You have to win for that to resonate with people
2: absolutely i think that transfer portal will be the main focus of this recruiting class because we
1: can really sit that message to me
2: exactly and i i think it's it's not a terrible thing to have you three stars that you want to look at to develop and maybe like you said find a diamond in the rough he's just underrated but like you said this year is so important for that transfer portal if you're gonna use that strategy because It'll be interesting to see what the early signing period looks like for Auburn. It might be very, very lightweight. And then you might see in February or in January and February, you might start seeing the transfers kind of start to flow in and announce their commitments to Auburn.
1: I will probably never hit red on my traffic light of recruiting. I will probably never hit red for this year mainly for the reason that I think Gus left Auburn at a really tough spot from a recruiting standpoint. These guys don't really have relationships. You combine that with COVID, I think they're going to have a really hard time in this class, which is why you see them go out and get these three-stars, low-four-star kind of guys. And I think you can build, still build a decent class out of this, and maybe you get some starters out of this group one day, and maybe they end up being solid players. But the transfer portal, like you said, is where, where it's going to clean up. We can really grade this coaching staff's ability – to to recruit four and five star players and recruit the southeast well after next year's class because once again as evidenced by the visitors at big cat fours and the five stars primary the the main amount of those guys they were 2023 recruits Mm -hmm. so they're building those relationships now with those juniors at the moment if they can't land them next year then i think you've probably got a pretty good indication of uh of this class's Oh, not this class. This coaching staff's ability to recruit those players.
2: Yeah, and when when it comes to my traffic light, I'm with you. I don't think I'm gonna hit the panic button unless unless something drastic were to happen. And I really think that you kind of can't hit the red. What is drastic? I mean, let me l- finish last. Losing guys. That well, they've are already here lost now. a guy.
1: I. You mean uh, on campus already? No. Or do you mean in the class? Like
2: in the class, like Holden Jaron. Like if he were to decommit, yeah.
1: Absolutely See, but they, they lost one of their best recruits two weeks ago. And Jarrell Stinton out of Opelika,
2: but is that not a Gus Malzahn kind of recruit? I believe he committed. He
1: did under Gus to Malzahn. Malzahn. Yeah. So
2: I that's why I'm not worried about him. And
1: Auburn's still in the mix for him. It's not like Auburn's out of the game, but there. Right. He,
2: he's a he's an athlete. He's pretty good.
1: Well, you rated, look at the two so. schools that are coming after him. It seems, and what you hear about and you read about, Florida and UCF. Yeah. And guess who is at Florida right now? Crime dog. Mm-hmm. You know. And then you've got over at. UCF right now you got Gus Malzahn (laughs) the
2: whole the whole shebang with Travis Williams as well so it would have to be one of these guys that are really pushing for guys to come to Auburn like Holden if he were to leave then hit a red but I mean I really think that Austin committing this weekend that that eased it a little bit for me so I was kind of a hard yellow now it's like just a Average yellow. I just, probably
1: won't get onto to green this year either. No, I agree because... I will probably be forever yellow for the rest of this season. The
2: class isn't going to be no. good rated because of the whole transfers not counting. So, yeah, there's no reason to go to green unless, out of nowhere, you get a five-star or several four-stars, so...
1: And I think they'll get a couple of four stars. They'll be lower rated four stars. You know, they'll be outside that top 200 on 24-7 mm-hmm. Sports Composite probably. And I think Auburn's going to get Caden Story coming up. That'll be a good get as well on August 1st. So, like, I think Auburn's going to be fine in grabbing – really the way that I evaluate this class is like, all right, what you know, what were your best recruits in this class? And then did you get a couple of starters out of it? And mm-hmm. If you got a couple of starters out of it, and then you go to the transfer portal and you do well there. Because I think Auburn got some starters out of this previous transfer portal. I think Marcus Harris out of Kansas ends up being a pretty decent player when it's all said and done. Tony Fair may be a borderline starter this year. I'm trying to talk about younger players, so not Tony Fair, but right. you think about Marcus Harris, Donovan Kaufman's catching a lot I of praise think, at the moment.
2: Yeah, I heard what Owen Papo had to say about him is uh and I think Brian Harson had comments on him. Kaufman could very easily be one of those key guys in the secondary because, you know, at the safety position, Swim Monday's locked in. The other safety position, there's a lot of options. And if Kaufman could take that for himself oh he's playing this year that would be so big for that secondary that the secondary would be incredible if he can lock that position in because I think there's thoughts about moving um, may, maybe Pritchett to ha- see if he can throw in there but I don't know it's well, just, Tennyson's
1: the other safety at the moment alongside Smoke Monday at least that's the, that's the impression that you should have after you left spring yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I doubt anything's changed on that front throughout the summer but that that's the way that looks right now but then you got two guys after that that are going to get some playing time. I don't know how much, but that's Donovan Kaufman and then Darius Knighton mm-hmm. from Southeast Missouri State. And then I also think and it's Amari Harvey also plays safety. Yes, and Amari Harvey is going to get some playing time. Auburn, I feel like, is actually pretty secure in where they're at at the safety position moving oh, yeah. forward. Auburn fans should really want Ladarius Tennyson to be successful this year. I, I, I think he's someone that you can be extremely deep at safety, Moving forward, if Ladarius Tennyson has a good year there and actually finds his spot and his fit at that opposite safety role because then, and and I I think there's some confidence. Obviously, there were four-star recruits. They were highly touted players between Donovan Kaufman and uh, Amari Harvey. You look at those two guys, there should be some confidence there in those guys developing. If you've got three guys that you can rotate at safety, that's some quality depth, I think. Of course, you'd probably like four, but I think that's quality depth to say, hey, we got three starters at safety. So... I like where Auburn's at right now. That's not me saying that I think Auburn's on the green light when it comes to recruiting. Auburn's going to stay yellow for me probably all year long unless something drastic happens in the right. positive way. And I and I won't hit red unless something like you said drastic happens in the negative way. It's just we really won't know anything about these guys as recruiters until next year because of the the fact that I d- I don't even think that they're really hard. I don't, I don't think they're going hard after highly touted recruits this year.
2: I think, unfortunately, everyone's going to be overanalyzing it throughout the season. You really won't be able to say what you say now and in September and in November and even in December when the early signing period happens. It might completely change by February or even March or April depending on what happens in the transfer portal.
1: And that kind of even makes it even more important for Auburn to win this year because if Auburn goes like seven and five this year and I know that's where everybody's predicting Auburn to go but just follow me here Auburn fans will not be happy if Auburn goes seven and five back-to-back kind of seven and five seasons with six and five hundred miles on if they go six and five seven and five this year and then in recruiting they end up finishing outside the top eight in the SEC you think that will go over well with
2: people no probably not especially if the recruiting is not already top tier and like like we say and it doesn't look like it's going to with transfers not counting towards the rating
1: and all i'm saying is that people don't want to hear this but i think it's important to be patient to fully evaluate what these guys are going to be able to do as recruiters till the 2023 class rolls around i think that's probably where i'll start making my conclusions mm-hmm. drawing my conclusions if you give a coach three or four years to evaluate them in terms of their ability to manage and run a program Uh, give them more than one year to see what they can do as recruiters, right? I think one year is drawing, you know, is way jumping the gun. But let's take a quick break here. You're listening to On The Line. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Find Jacob and I on Twitter, at Point Gardner for myself, and at Jacob underscore Hillman3. For Jacob over there, joining me on the show today as Lance is away on a church retreat. Talked about Auburn football landing 2022 running back Damari Austin over the weekend talked about where Auburn's going in recruiting next let's go back to reactions from the weekend a weekly segment that I've been wanting to do we started this a couple of weeks ago let's open it up here Jacob a reaction that you had from the weekend
2: Suni Lee is going to be a superstar throughout the world after these Olympics are done really perform well at qualifying for because it's a the weird rule about gymnastics is you can only have two representatives from each country to qual, uh, to qualify individually and Suni Lee she's one of them for the all-around gold medalist uh for the for the finals so her and Simone Biles are representing the U.S. individually and then of course she's on the team as well
1: you know I asked you this question off air earlier why go to college
2: NIL it's that simple now she can make a lot of money while also getting her degree while she's at Auburn because especially these gymnasts that or Livy Dunn's an example at LSU. She's such a big social media influencer. She will probably be the highest paid NIL, or I say college athlete, in the country this year. she'll when she comes to Auburn, she'll be the same way. She'll be up there, especially if she's to win a gold medal. And what it looks like is she's ready to do that on the uneven bars. So when she gets here, who knows what kind of sponsorship she be. She'll be national. She'll be Coca-Cola, Visa, those types of deals because of how how popular she is
1: a reaction from the weekend that i had my cleveland indians it's well documented i'm a cleveland sports fan cleveland indians <clears throat> i mean guardians and an okay. 11 game skid to the tampa bay rays i just thought that was wild i even did not know that the indians i mean the guardians i'm trying to get used to that not really i'm not a fan of the logo that's another part of my reaction over the weekend what about it being All joking
2: what about it being stolen from a roller derby team Is that, is that team.
1: true? Is that true?
2: I mean, looks like it. You saw
1: it on Facebook. I don't know if that's true. Oh, I saw
2: it on Twitter and it was expanded on. I I got you. We are I think there's smoke. I don't know if there's fire though. Yeah,
1: the question is was it trademarked or copyrighted? I also don't know a ton about that side of law. Um but yeah, just don't steal things. You know, if it's not yours, just don't <laughs> steal it. And I, I, I think that the now looking at that logo of the one that they supposedly stole I think the I uh, think the Indians did a much better job with the logo than what the Roller Derby well, team. Well, it's did. a Roller
2: Derby team that doesn't have very much so, social media. Yeah, I don't think there's a reason for their there, there's no way their logo would be better than the Indians one that is brand new and not from 2012.
1: Also, how wild is it in baseball that you could have an 11-game losing streak to a team? That's three sweeps. Wow. That's three sweeps and almost four. And they only won three to two yesterday, so they barely, they barely got by it.
2: Well, you should have seen that. Did you see the Texas Rangers stat where they didn't lead in, and they haven't? I don't know if it's still active. But I saw where they had the. It was the longest streak of trailing in innings since the 1977 Braves, and they broke it like a nine. It was 96 straight innings, not winning.
1: Yeah, the Indians have really gone on a slide here because yeah. they were they were in the wild card race for a while. Now they're sitting at like 49 and 48. And there were good, you know, nine games out of the wild card not happening for them. And, and most people were shocked at the fact that the Indians were actually starting out the year in contention for the AL Central, hugging that line with the White Sox. And now you look at it, and they have fallen apart lately. They they had like a stretch where they were eight and two at one point, and then they followed it up with a stretch that was very much so akin to like two and eight. And I'd send them down to near five games
2: back. They're still alive.
1: Five games out of the wild card. Yeah yeah a couple of those other teams have been sliding too like the Yankees had some horrific losses I know they had a big win over the Red Sox two days ago but yesterday lost pretty bad yeah they
2: did and I'll tell you what the Mariners they're in front of the Indians along with the Yankees and Blue Jays and athletics and race at the top they've won three in a row I don't see the Mariners coming close to making the wild card I don't know I just don't see a Mariners team finally making a playoff appearance for the first time in who knows how long you got another reaction uh, it's about aaron Rodgers and Devontae adams and it's that this is going to be the most dramatic relationship between quarterback and what well, you know, superstar quarterback and organization like ever i don't think there's going to be i can't think of anything that even comes close to this even like tom brady leaving that it was pretty just hey thank patriots fans organizations just hey thank you tom you know he's been there for a long time They left on good terms. They did.
1: It was a good terms breakup.
2: Whereas Aaron Rodgers, he sat behind Brett Favre for a few years, and there was stuff about that. Then he's played. He won a Super Bowl. But then since then, it's just drama. And I really think the Devontae Adams situation, of course, there's the report this morning that he's going to play this year. So that's what I'm saying. It's just it's weird. Because even if he were to retire a Packer, you would still look back on all of this and be like, And of course, if he wins a Super Bowl this year or in the next few years, then all this doesn't matter.
1: I was telling you off air, and I I know that it's not fully like this, and maybe these aren't totally connected, but I find it funny that the one NFL franchise, the only NFL franchise that is publicly owned is the one that's got all the drama from its personnel and the players possibly thinking that they're above the collective unit, right? right? Like the Packers organization is very much so being ran in a way to me that seems like they're all about the collective. No one is above this hierarchy of the organization. Like there's the coach and then there's the players, right? And then above the coach, there's the GM and nobody is, you know, there's very (laughs) much so a very hard-lined hierarchy, right? And Aaron Rodgers is trying to leap all of that and say, I want a seat at the table, right? But that's just not how the Packers organization is ran. And, you know, if a wide receiver were to be doing this, people would be like, oh, he's got an attitude problem. He he's not a team player. He's selfish. A quarterback does this. They're all like, this is outrageous. Yeah. And they're just like indignant for him. And I'm like, I don't really feel bad for Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm in the wrong on that one. Like I, I have said in the past on this show that I, I do think that he has done enough in winning to earn a seat at the table. But that's because all other 31 teams in the NFL, typically once you reach that point that Aaron Rodgers has has gotten to, You'd want Aaron Rodgers at the table because you'd want to make him successful, right? And he, more than anybody else other than maybe the coach, would know what's going to help him be successful, right? The The Buccaneers want Tom Brady at the table. Tom Brady doesn't have to ask to be at the table. He's invited, yeah. right? So it's equally a problem that the Packers haven't invited him. And that they haven't sought out to include him. But I also think it's also a problem that Aaron Rodgers is having a hard time playing well with others.
2: And as I said, it's, it, it's an awkward relationship in my opinion. And I think that it all the only thing that's safe to say is that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams probably will not be playing together past this point. Past this year. They'll play because mainly because I, I am reading into the Instagram stories they each posted this weekend. Where they both posted the same exact picture of Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan fist bumping referencing the last dance and I think that's what they're referring to the 2021 season as it's the last dance for them too with the Green Bay Packers
1: does uh who wins that who do you think has a better career trajectory after this
2: Ooh, that's tough I mean I would probably have to say Aaron Rodgers I think I think that Devontae Adams is similar to DeAndre Hopkins where he doesn't he he can be successful without a superstar quarterback which DeAndre Hopkins was at the Texans and of course Kyler Murray's still kind of improving but probably Aaron Rodgers
1: let's take a quick break when we come back we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports here on the line with us we'll get his thoughts on this Texas Oklahoma conundrum as college football being ruined we talk to him when you come back
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman here on this Monday afternoon edition of the show. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports joining us here on the line. Jeremy, how's it going, my man, on your Monday?
3: Feels good to be back, guys. I hope you had fun last week at SEC Media Days while all of us hard-working people had to stay back at the office and deal with the traditional eight to five. So how was SEC media days last week?
1: It was great. We worked hard too, though. If anything, it's very hard work at SEC media days. Jacob's laughing. He worked hard here out of Auburn. So I don't appreciate the shade, my friend.
3: (laughs) Hey, listen, I've been there and I can honestly say that's, that's a stressful four days. You're trying to get an interview. You're trying to get the coach at the podium. You're trying to get it into your computer so you can have the sound bites for the show. You're never on a tighter deadline than you are when you're in SEC media days.
1: So, Jeremy, Texas and Oklahoma were the big news. What's your take on this?
3: I think if you're one of the big boys in the SEC, it doesn't bother you too much. If you're Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, I think that you're probably going to be okay and you and you love it. But if you're – not one of the you know annual annually top five teams in the league. Now you're slipping from the five six seven slot to the you know the seven eight nine slot. Is probably the best teams in the conference. I don't know. I know you're going to make sixteen million dollars per team per year or whatever that that figure they're throwing out due to TV deals. But man, if you're Ole Miss and you're Mississippi State and you're South Carolina with a new coach and heck, it I mean if you're if you're even a&M, who is a big brand, but they're still a new boy in the SEC. And I don't know how this helps you. It, it makes the league harder. I know the playoffs going to expand, so more teams from the SEC are going to get in. But the chances of those teams who have never won an SEC title anyways, I don't think, um, that it's just going to be a whole lot harder for those guys to stay um, to stay relevant, and you just bring two major, major, major brands from college football, Texas and Oklahoma, the Red River Robbery. Texas is already a big brand in itself. Oklahoma has carried the Big 12 as far as on-the-field play in football for, heck, the last 20 years outside of one Vicks young year. It feels like Oklahoma wins the thing every year in the Big 12. I just don't know how it helps teams 5 through 14 right now in the SEC, but... We're going to have fun doing it. Is it going to be divisions? Is it going to be pods? Are they going to eliminate divisions? How does it turn out? Those questions are going to have to be answered. It's a big move. It's a power move, and this is Greg Sankey's legacy. And if he left after these two teams enter into the SEC, he moves into Roy Kramer's status as what he was able to do for the league as, as, as Kramer put together the SEC title game, in my opinion.
1: Jeremy, so why would this get passed if 5 through 14? I I, I agree with what you're saying. I don't think this is good for 75% of the conference. If 5 through 14 all of a sudden is going to get worse because of this, why does it get passed? You need 11 of 14 teams for this thing to go through. Well, to to me, it's it's it's
3: those 5 through 14 or 6 through 14 football programs. This could be great for other sports. You need more revenue to support other athletics. No, I know you know that. We talked about the nine revenue-generating sports, and there's only two real sports on campus that generate any revenue in the SEC. It's basketball and um, and football. And the other sports, they need money. I mean, that's the big thing here. You're going to have 16 to 20 million. Some people are even throwing out 30 million dollars if they can negotiate a better TV deal for almost every school. How crazy would that be? You need money. But they also need 11 votes from what I'm reading. And I, y'all can tell me if that's not correct, but you feel like A&M might vote no. Arkansas, you know, the, they were in a conference with these guys a long time ago. Could they vote no? Missouri left there to come here. Could they vote no? Texas and Alabama have always seemingly had some beef throughout history, it feels like. I mean, are 11 presidents going to vote yes? Um, I still think it's a lot is up in the air, but I don't think Greg Sankey brings this to the table. I don't think it gets this far if they don't think they have the votes. kind of like politics. You're not going to bring a bill to the table if you don't think it can get passed because you don't want to waste a lot of time. I think Sankey thinks he can get this deal done.
2: And what do you think the best-case scenario for Alabama is really to, scheduling-wise, to balance it? Do you like the pause? Do you like the two divisions where Auburn and Alabama just moved to the east. What, in, what in your opinion, is best for I, – I guess, what do you want as an Alabama fan and what do you kind of think will happen?
3: I think for, as, as an Alabama fan, uh, the pods are cool because you get to play everybody over – you can play every team almost every two years, right, is how that one of those pods was labeled out – um, so that would be cool. I think eight team, would was was that, yeah, put it at eight team divisions. I just don't see how that works. If you're, even if you move it up to a nine game conference schedule, it's going to take you eight years to play almost everybody from the other side. Um, I don't know if that works. I think the pods are going to be the way it goes. And do they, do they, break those up into, ge- ge- um, into geography, you know? Do they break put Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas in one? Do they keep the central right here with Alabama, Auburn, Mississippi, Mississippi, Mississippi State? How is that going to work out, or do they just spread it out and they try to get two big boys and two small boys in every single one of them and try to keep the rivals um, in pods as well? I, I, there's so many questions to be answered. I just think the big news is that the SEC is getting stronger. It's getting bigger. Heck, guys, over the weekend – there's reports from all types of media outlets that Clemson and Florida State and Ohio State and Michigan are trying to get in the league at this point. I don't think all that happened, but the SEC is—they are rolling right now as far as the, the top tier athletics as they already were. It gets even stronger, and they're going to be rolling into cash when this deal, get, deal gets done.
1: Speaking with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports, could this somehow ruin college football? Because I'm kind of oh, wondering... college football dead. <laughs> The the, right that, that, cha- that that
3: changed with the NIL a couple weeks ago. Listen, college football as we know it, it is not dead, guys. It's it's not. It's never going to be the same. Bryce Young and, and, and listen, I'm the most free market conservative guy on the face of the earth. I don't think it's a bad thing um, as far as what these kids are able to do. They're the only people on earth who can't make money off their own name. Um, and Bryce Young's going to make a million dollars. No telling what Bo Nix can bring in if he has a massive year and then comes back for another year. This, But college football as we know it is done. I don't know if it's horrible. I just think the way that we know college football as it is is dead. And the NCAA is about to be toast because the SEC is going to answer to nobody. They're going to lead this charge into getting five or four super conferences. They're going to govern themselves when it comes to football. And the NCAA already has no say-so in a college football championship scenario anyway. The college football playoff runs the whole thing. The SEC is just some foreign governing body i mean the ncaa is some foreign governing body that nobody really listens to and they levy down a penalty on you if you don't do what they say as far as the penalty goes there's nothing that they can still do to you anyway so the ncaa is gone as well i think this is be fine it could be good it could be bad but this is the way it's going
1: taking a look at the alabama crimson tide at scc media days haven't gotten your thoughts yet on that what was your impressions from the program taking the stage
3: I listen, they brought two two great guys up there. They brought Messi. They brought Phil Mathis. You have Nick Saban, you know He's your headliner on a Wednesday morning. But I, I thought they brought two guys up there who see the vision of the program, guys that have played a lot of football who want to keep the stage going. You didn't get to see Bryce Young. Um, I think a lot of people were itching to know because they didn't release the, the, the participants until like the week before. A lot of people thought Bryce might be one to go. He didn't get to go. I think Alabama kept it relatively quiet the way that they um, they wanted it to. And, listen, when we were at SEC Media Days together in, like, 2016, though, we didn't know each other we were there at the same time. You know, the Hugh Freeze things break. You're, you're rolling in through SEC Media Days. You think you're going to have a quiet session. And then while Texas A&M's at the podium, the news breaks that Oklahoma and Texas are trying to get to the league. So there's always a bombshell, but relatively quiet for Alabama, just, just a normal SEC Media Days.
1: Last question here for you. Of course, you saw the media ballot released. And you texted me about this while we were doing our show on Friday. Alabama had six guys on first-team defense. Tell me why this defense is about to be scary.
3: Uh, listen, Alabama and Georgia are going to probably have the two best defenses uh, in the league. Alabama's going to be right up there. I didn't have a problem with how you guys are talking about how six guys is a lot. But your linebackers, if you're Alabama, I think it's earned. I mean, Will Anderson, probably the best edge rusher in the league. Chris Harris – He's probably one of the better middle linebackers in the league, and so is Henry Tohoto. Now, the rest of them, I think Jobe was on there. Who else was on that list? I'm just there's six guys right there, first team. Uh, they're going to be really good. I think how many guys do they have first through third team? It was a lot. I think 16. their whole defense almost landed on the whole thing, so they're going to be scary this year.
1: Yeah, ten guys for Alabama's defense landed on first through third team, sixteen total players. Yeah, I feel like this is just like the I, I don't know if I remember it like this before. I don't I don't want to use hyperbole here, but uh, has, like, has, has this happened before? Like, this seems a little bit out there.
3: <laughs> and I know why you're questioning it because you, you're thinking to yourself, there's no way every player on Alabama's team is better than every player in the entire conference at that position. Like, every defense has good players, and it does look that way, but it's, it's not just Alabama beat writers voting on that. It's people oh. across the league, and I just think that they've seen the amount of production from the linebackers and Will Anderson and, Josh Jobs of the world, that they they feel pretty confident that with as well as this defense played down the stretch last year, and they essentially lose almost nobody except undrafted free agent Dylan Moses and uh, oh man, what's the guy in the, in the Chris Chris Barmore in the I think there's a lot of stock in this defense. People are buying into it, and I think they should because there's a lot of experience coming back in Tuscaloosa, and they may have to carry this team early on in the year as Bryce Young gets his footing ready, gets, gets his uh. Gets a few snaps under his belt, and I think you'll probably see a pretty good offense midway through the year with the defense carrying early.
1: Well, something else to consider here, and I'm not dogging Auburn on this one because Nick Brahms did get first team SEC, which is a huge honor. But if you're going through the voting portal, you don't have a database of every single player in the SEC. They give you a list of players that you can choose from. Okay, so like there Correct. was only like six or seven quarterbacks on that list. You couldn't select Bryce Young, that wasn't an option. So folks out there were scratching their heads how Bo Nix got third team. That was not an option for you to select some of these other guys. And there was a mass exodus of talent out of the league last year. And I think that's how you may have ended up with some of these names getting on these lists and some of these absurd numbers, especially for Alabama, because those are the names that people know.
3: Yeah, listen, there's some star power included in that. And the more games you play, if you're playing in January and you come back on the roster the next year, everybody's going to know who you are. But it's always been weird how you vote. All the players aren't there. You can't select somebody that's not right there waiting and willing to be written in. So, But Alabama got the guys on there, and we'll see if they can live up to it.
1: Jeremy, we appreciate you taking your time here on the show with us today. Tell everybody where they can find you.
3: Yeah, follow me on Twitter at imj underscore long. Guys, love listening to the show. I'll be listening to the rest of it while I'm at my desk. You guys take care.
1: Appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good rest of your work week. Jacob and I will wrap up our number one here. Listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman with you. Thanks to Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports for joining us there in our number one in our previous segment if you missed that conversation go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast jeremy law of radio alabama sports there with us some great insights on texas oklahoma and then of course what happened with alabama over the week at sec media days jacob mlb trade deadline what should the braves be doing right now
2: look for a relief pitcher, please That's all that's all that's all you really need Right now, I think you could look for another bat, but I think the Jock Peterson deal, I, I think the top of the lineup is fine. I like that they tried to move Dancy Swanson to the, to the second position. Did not work. He went one for 18, batting second. He moved back to fifth, hit a grand slam. It's that simple. And I really think that Ozzy Albies fits that two-hole much better. And Freddie Freeman likes hitting in the three-hole better than he likes hitting the two-hole. So I think the lineup is fine and it will work itself out. As long as Heredia and Almonte can just be a little bit more consistent, and of course the catcher position, just get Gar- Darno back, and I think you're fine position wise. But if you are going to go look for anything other than a reliever, it's got to be an outfielder with a better bat than Almonte. I think Heredia he he works out well, but Almonte's hit and miss.
1: What do you think of some of those recent moves for the Atlanta Braves? You're a big baseball guy. That's why I'm hitting you up with these questions. You're the in-house baseball guy. Follow the Atlanta Braves closely. Sitting at 48 and 50 right now, couple games below 500. What can they do? You know, like should the Braves be still just like sitting on it, saying, "Hey, like we'll be good again next year. Get some guys back healthy next season, and just hope with the roster that they've got that they can get back into the pennant race."
2: Here's the issue: is that you're only five games back of the New York Mets. And the Phillies are in second place one game ahead of you. So, in reality, you shouldn't be selling. And, of course, the whole Ronald Acuna Jr. injury derails everything. He had successful surgery last Wednesday. But it's still just... I don't really like the idea of selling this year and just kind of giving up. Because Freddie Freeman, he is on an absolute tear right now. The starting rotation looks good. Max Freed's been fine. Ian Anderson returns from an extended break. Uh, this coming up week. Travis Darnold will be back. Kyle Muller is showing things. Huascar Enoa, he'll return from his injury. And I I, re- I really think Drew Smiley and Charlie Morton have started to settle in and they might establish themselves as the three and four guys in the rotation. And that that fifth spot, it's kind of wide open with Mueller and Enoa. So I don't like the idea of selling because I think that the bats are good enough. And I think the rotation has a chance to shine the rest of the second half. Of course, right now, they just kind of, they've, win they went win loss win loss against the against the Phillies so I really just they haven't shown anything great. they scored a lot of runs in one game they don't score enough in the game after I don't it looks like more of the same from the first half but I do think that they can really pick it back up in the next coming weeks
1: before we wrap up our number one here let's take a listen to what's on tv tonight Taking a look at your Monday evening, wishing everybody a good Monday as they start their work week. Some movies on tonight. Castaway is on Freeform at 7. Do you guys get sad when you see Wilson floating away? Every time. Every time? Every it, it hurts time. me. There's a little bit of a crisis there. I, I, I don't know latest edition in the men in black series men in black international is on fx at seven and what's going on in the sports world of course let's keep up with the olympics on nbc from 7 to 10 30 you've got men's diving men's gymnastics women's triathlon and swimming a lot of sports there that i could not do very well pretty much everything on the olympics i don't think i could do very well but you know what i'm getting at on nbc sports at seven you can also watch the u.s women's water polo team take on china following it. From 8 to 10, the U.S. men's volleyball team faces the Russian Olympic Committee. On CNBC at 7, women's beach volleyball sees U.S. take on Spain. And then at 8, watch U.S. men's water polo take on South Africa. From 9 to 10, men's rugby pool play will be on. That's a blast. You better be watching rugby tonight. That is an absolute blast. It's painful to watch. Like, it hurts my eyes to see these guys do this thing.
2: Rugby, rugby seems a lot like a lot of fun. I feel like it would be a fun... It's, 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 say that
1: until you lose your teeth.
2: I was gonna say as a fan, go into a rugby game or match to sit in the stands and watch, I feel like oh, yeah, that'd be a lot the far, of fun. From the yeah. distance, I don't yeah. think I would enjoy it as playing it as much.
1: Yeah. Outside of the Olympics, you also got baseball on the night, AL East matchup, blue jays and Red Sox. And of course then there'll be trade deadline coming up pretty soon, but
2: I don't know. It, I I don't know if this trade deadline is gonna be as crazy as it, it usually tends to be for baseball. I think that it's going to be pretty calm. I think you'll see teams like the Braves. They'll do what everyone expects them to do, try to find a reliever. But I don't know if we're going to see anything crazy happen. Just Why is that? I, I don't know. I feel like teams are kind of happy with where they're like, I feel like the Red Sox. and I feel like everyone feels like they're in a good position. Like the Yankees, for example, they, they want some bullpen help. But they're also middle of the pack. The teams at the top, I feel like they're kind of happy with everything. Of course, you saw San Diego go and get Adam Frazier from the Pittsburgh Pirates. But I feel like that's the extent of what we're going to get. I feel like that's going to be kind of one of the biggest trades that we see in the last few weeks for the deadline.
1: Any other reactions from the weekend that you had, going back to our segment from earlier, looking at Olympics and stuff? Anything over over the weekend with the Olympics that caught your eye?
2: (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think the Olympics have been kind of just interesting so far with with USA basketball, especially how they fell to France. That's I actually mean,
1: one of my reactions from the weekend that I didn't get to. I said, I'm beginning to believe the U.S. is not going to win gold in basketball. At, at first, I chalked it up. I was like, all right, maybe it's just exhibition games. I legit don't think these guys are going to win the gold. They may not even medal, and I don't want to go to that extreme. I think they'll get out of the group stage. Like, yeah. they, they ought to be able to take Iran and Czech Republic, I, I would hope. You know, France is at least like you know they're they're pretty went off right like france at least has some players that you see in the nba right like i i don't think iran and czech republic has that many dudes that are playing in the nba right now not that i can think of so forgive me if i'm missing guys but i i don't think that they have that many dudes that are playing in the league and so like i think the u.s will will handle that but once they get to the quarterfinals and the actual bracket play ball game they're not beating spain I don't think they're going to beat Australia if it got to that point. It's just Damian Lillard had a quote that I saw on Bleacher Report yeah. said that he said that when other player when when they're playing these other guys like Evan Fournier when they're playing for their country they're just different. And I'm like, but why is that not the case for you guys? You're playing for your country too. Like, what's changed? Is that because like you're putting in your full effort in the NBA season that it's a little bit different when you go to the international stage where we clearly do not put that big of an emphasis on international play.
2: See, the only thing I remember is from when Luka Doncic, his rookie year, he made a comment about how it's so much easier to score in the NBA than it is overseas and it with different rules. So I think that's part of it. I think that these guys, Fournier knows he's played like that before, whereas guys like Dame Lillard, he's never played under those kind of rules. So I think that,
1: that is pretty true. Patrick Beverly, where, where did he play? Did he play in Greece for a little bit during when I the NBA so. went on lockdown? I mean, just like you hear about how physical and rough and tumble it is everywhere else. It's just a ton of Patrick Beverly's running around.
2: And I think another part That's of scary. it is the three-point line being a little bit closer. If they shoot on that line, they're basically shooting a mid-range, which I think the mid-range game is kind of lost now where everyone is so focused on three-point shots that no one really has that mid-range game anymore. And... They basically have to shoot from further out than, they, than it looks like, and they might just have to get used to that. I'm not completely there on, okay, U.S. is not going to win gold or anything, but I'm very close. I, got, I need to see them dominate Iran and Czech Republic. Someone was talking about how we are past the days of the U.S. winning by 50 and the other team asking for autographs and pictures after the game. These teams are trying to win, and they're starting to win against the U.S.,
1: i don't know if i'm i don't know if i'm completely sold though that other countries have caught up though Mm. because you look at the nba
2: someone made another good point i saw was in the nba which is the u.s men's national team you are basically focused on one player one player is doing all the work and everyone around them is doing what they can to make that one player successful and i don't think that works out in this in this game. game yeah
1: That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two coming up in just a few moments at 3 p.m. We talk Texas, Oklahoma, Big Cat Weekend, a lot of other stuff. Hour number two on the way.
0: You are on the line. or toll-free
1: at 888-382-7502. Our number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman with you on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Fun hour number one. And now let's get into our number two takeaways from Big Cat Weekend this past weekend. A lot of players on campus for Auburn Big Recruiting Weekend. It's huge for Auburn from a, pers- from a perception standpoint to have Big Cat Weekend back. And uh, let's get into some takeaways from Big Cat Weekend. And I'll, I'll say mine first, just to kind of direct this a little bit in the direction that I wanted to go. But um, mainly three stars this year, four stars, five stars, some dogs from the 2023 class. I think that tells you a little bit about how this coaching staff is approaching recruiting this year.
2: Absolutely, and it's all about the transfer portal for 2022. So Auburn probably won't be ranked very high in the recruiting rankings when it comes to February and March, but that's not accounting for transfers that will end up transferring into the program. So obviously everyone wants to look at the recruiting rankings, but I think there's going to need to be context whenever you look at the final rankings when it comes to february and march of uh, 2022 so i'm not I, we, we talked about our traffic light indicators earlier in the show i'm still sitting at a yellow and i don't think that i'll change from green to green or red at any point this season because it's just i it would have to be something so drastic and on i don't think sides. it'll happen right
1: yeah I don't, I don't think i'll ever be on green or ever be on red because I don't think Auburn is going to do something so positively to save recruiting this year to where Auburn ends up. I I don't think Auburn's going to be a top 25 recruiting class this year.
2: I think they'll be right at 30.
1: Uh, Which is about where they ended last year before you got Dylan Brooks in, which pole vaulted you inside the top 25. I think they they get to about that point. They may even be a little bit worse than that. But the transfer portal is what can salvage it. And if they do that and they win nine games this year, successful – Massive successful A season for Brian Harson year one. That would, be, that would be my measuring stick for this. We'll see him win nine games, get to about 30 in recruiting, 25-30 in recruiting, and clean up in the transfer portal, and you are going to be set up for success down the line. That'll be a good start. Malzahn has turned this into a, a situation with the way that he recruited at certain position groups, wink, wink, and uh, I, I think it's put Auburn in a situation where this is a pivotal year. It's got to be, and be,
2: because you're right, these guys haven't visited in over a year. Some of these guys are seeing Auburn for the first time this summer, and I really think that it's going to make a – when they visit, we, we talked about this when when the dead period ended, is that Auburn finds so much importance in bringing guys on campus and showing them what the life is like. Well, yeah, that's important, but whenever they're watching, they're taking their official visits during the season and watching games – They have to see a good product, and that's the most important thing. They don't have to go win a national championship, but they have to show potential to compete for the SEC championship and walk in and make it to the college football playoff, even if it to expand. So I I don't know. I think that this season's important from a 2022 transfer portal perspective. Without a doubt. The 2023 class, of course it matters, but I I think it's one of those things that – you can kind of say, hey, look at the context. We can still bring you in. So it'll be interesting.
1: Yeah, and I'm not saying that they've given up this year. I think they're just trying to get the best that they can right now. And if they can get those guys in, then that'll be a success for them this year. I think some of those high four-stars and those five-stars, they're just – they're too far behind at the moment, but they're laying the seats yeah. to get those types of players next year.
2: The issue is, you don't want to go all in on a and four or five for this year on some miss, of these and other then, guys. Exactly. So I, I completely see the viewpoint and the strategy that they're playing because yeah. you don't want to throw all of your chips in on one guy that you are already behind on. And if he doesn't come, you just wasted all that recruiting time on him.
1: Looking at what I was saying about Malzahn putting Auburn in a tough spot. Look, not only the position groups, but also like Malzahn had that one year where you finish outside the top eight in recruiting, right? Where you finish at eighth or whatever it was in the SEC. You, you get one of those. You, you compound two of those in a row, then you're in a tough spot because three, four years from now, you end up being an average football team in the SEC. You can't have two of those. You can make up for one of them. You can't have two of them. And so Auburn's in this pivotal situation where they have to win – in order to be successful in the transfer portal because they're already behind, as mentioned by the coronavirus and the fact that you got a new coaching staff and building these relationships with players from around the Southeast. So you're really not going to be able to do better than eighth in the SEC, really, probably, in recruiting just based off of high school kids. It's like the, way, the fact that Malzahn used, like, had, did such a poor job recruiting last year makes this year even more crucial for Auburn. Like, you can't mess up again.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think it's one of those things that you just need to have a rebound year. You just rebound to a little bit better and you're fine
1: what does that look like i think it's is it what th- i said earlier probably. 30th and you do pretty yeah. well in the transfer portal well
2: especially considering where you're at right now is if you get to 30th we're gonna look back on this and be like okay we were a little nervous for no reason because 30 you can live with that you can live with that especially with bringing other transfers in that's the important part can
1: you live you can live with it this year I don't yeah. know if you can live with it every year, though, right? Absolutely like, that not. is not where you should Absolutely be living. Absolutely not.
2: At. And that's why that should be why, living top 15. Exactly. They'll build relationships with the 2023, 2024 guys this upcoming year that they can actually go all in on a five star or a really highly rated four star and not feel like you're wasting time if they don't come.
1: Let's head to our phone lines now 334 321 1390. Spectre is on the line with us. Spectre, what's up, my man? hey i got a question uh when does the portal close well the the portal is closed for this year no new guys can enter their name for this season now there may still be some players out there floating around that haven't that haven't chosen their team but no new names can be added to it
4: that brings my next question up are there any left tackles floating around out there that hadn't made a decision but are in the portal
1: Probably not good enough to come to Auburn. At least not somebody that you'd want to take that would be better than Alec Jackson or Austin Troxel, whoever, whoever they put there, because I, I think Auburn would have gone after somebody like that. And, um, you know, you think about Dari Rosenthal from LSU who just recently entered, and he played left tackle at LSU. I mean, that was a pretty decent football player. Uh, Auburn, it doesn't seem like Auburn really made that big of a push there for even him. And if Auburn didn't really make that big of a push for him, I think they've been really choosy. I think they've been really selective. I know they brought in a lot of players, but I think they've been really selective on who they've brought in from a culture standpoint and if they actually fit what they're trying to do on the field from a scheme perspective. I don't think we see Auburn bring in an offensive lineman
4: okay uh well, I ain't changing my stance on my on my traffic light,
1: and i'm and I'm with you. It's definitely not a positive note. I yeah. mean Auburn's fourteenth in the league in recruiting. I think. Would you change your stance if Auburn, like, would you maybe go to yellow, like where we're at, if Auburn were to to reach that point, or maybe even green, if Auburn were to reach that point of you know thirtieth in the country, did really well in the transfer portal for this upcoming year, and maybe won nine games? Would you be feeling a lot better, Specter?
4: Well, I'll tell you what. I feel a lot better after the Penn State
1: game. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair, Specter. We appreciate your call. Keep, uh, keep calling. That was Specter on the line with us. Always enjoy Specter giving us an update of what he, he's yes. really bought into this metaphor. man. I love it. I love it.
2: Well, it's something that you got to keep up with. I mean, I feel like that's the kind of a, a good way to look at it throughout the year is because it changes all the time with recruiting. There's no, It's never consistent. That's, that's right. That's the one thing that's consistent is how inconsistent it is.
1: I think that is a good metaphor. I'm glad Spector's bought into it. I'm happy. I want him to keep giving us his, uh, his updates on what, how he's at right now. I, hey, I understand. There's some folks out there that are red light right now. I'm, I'm being patient, so I'm just not going to put him on the red light. Now, yellow, I think is also fair. I think that's proceed with caution right now. For sure. Some other takeaways from Big Cat Weekend. Of course, I talk about the potential for next year with the fours and the five stars and Auburn trying to get into that mix. That's where I think you grade... This coaching staff, though, if they have a hard time in the 2023 class and you have now three straight classes where you're outside the top 25 or outside the top 15, I'll say, because I think Auburn needs to get back in the top 15 maybe to at least rectify the damage done the previous two years, then you're in trouble.
2: I really want to see 2023 guys, like a few of them, commit this upcoming season. Even if some of them were to back off, I still would like to see them commit early and often so that you can see that, they are making progress that that would be nice to see even if even if we're get to a red light in 2022 if, if we see 2023 guys committing that would be a positive positive. and I really think that that would show that the relationships are building when they're able to visit in per person whenever they're able to speak with the coaches and and really see what the culture they're bringing to Auburn is all about and what their vision is for the program
1: taking a look at what we were talking about earlier we were talking about a scenario for college football that could happen based off of the domino for Texas and Oklahoma moving to the SEC. Today, they notified the SEC, or not the SEC, the Big, the 12. Big 12, right? That they were not going to be extending their, their grant of rights for media and whatnot, and that they will they may not stay till 2025. They did leave some wiggle room in their statement, but 2025, it's for sure over.
2: Well, I mean, look at how... Missouri and Texas A&M join. They were offered a spot in the SEC or however that works. I'm not sure if it's like that in November and October of 2011, and they were playing in 2012 for SEC football and everything else. So we could very easily see Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC for the 2022 football season.
1: So now I want to get into a scenario for college football, and I tasked you with creating what it'll look like down the line. After this happens, come up with something. What is it going to look like? I've got mine pulled out right here. I want to know where you going with it.
2: Yeah, mine is a little bit different from yours. since We, we talked about it off air, and and he, and Noah will say what his is. But I think mine's four super conferences, four 16-team. Because when you get to five, I think you start pulling too many teams that are might not deserve to be in a super conference. Whereas four 16-team super conferences – you pretty much have what you have right now.
1: So the Big 12's done in your scenario. In my ceases opinion, to exist. I
2: really just don't see the Big 12 surviving this. And even if it doesn't go, even if these conferences don't want to go to four 16-team super conferences, I think they ultimately might just have to because the Big 12 is going to dissolve and the teams will be like, hey, Kansas, yeah, they suck at football, but they have basketball. Big 10, someone will pick them up and say, we want you. Oklahoma State, they are historically good in football. Iowa State, they're on the come-up. These teams will will be picked up, and that's just simple as fact. The Texas teams, that's who I'd be worried about. The Texas Tech, TCU— Pac-12 is going
1: to be looking for four teams. They're you're only right. at 12 right now. Texas Tech would be a great fit for the Pac-12. I do agree with and that. And they're West Texas, so it's closer to that side.
2: So I really think that that's, how, that's where we get to. Now, that will still lead to some AAC teams and maybe even, I mean, even who knows who else could— make the jump up to this power four from the AAC or what even any other conference against Boise State could be one they could join the Pac-12
1: I think they're another team that would be a shoe in for the Pac-12 for
2: sure and then UCF who knows where they could go they could go to the ACC and I think a team like Notre Dame they would be forced to join a conference ACC I, there would be no way they would survive as an independent I don't think that will be a thing anymore
1: So, taking a look at your scenario, do they break away from the NCAA?
2: Now, that's where I'm not going to say for sure. I have no idea. Because in my scenario, how are we going to do conference championships? That's my big thing about doing a pod system. Are we going to do a 14 playoff for the SEC championship? Because if we do, that's an extra week of SEC teams beating each other up. And I know the whole point of going to 12 teams. The reason Greg Sankey backs the 12-team playoff is because he wants three SEC teams in the college football playoff. Well, if you have the extra week, that that could lead to a team losing in that opening round just because they had to play that extra game. They're worn down. Someone could get injured. So I'm, I'm very hesitant on everything except where I could see these teams landing. That's the one thing that I just look at. I'm like, are we going to do the two best teams? you know, kind of just the Big 12 model right now where one and two face each other, are we going to play the extra game? I mean, I don't know. That's where I'm so confused. It's just that, are we going to see the, the are, we, are the conference going to make their own college football playoff? Because that's very well what could happen and kind of what is happening with...
1: Breaking away from the NCAA, creating their own version of college football. Why do they need to play by the NCAA's rules anymore?
2: It's very possible. And what I'm interested in is the other sports and how they follow suit because I just think that everything could be completely different in college sports period in the coming years. Now, I don't know how soon. That's another question mark is, will this be an immediate thing? Will the big 12 try to survive as the big eight? Will they try to bring in some AAC teams and then fail or will they succeed? I don't know that that's, I think what we need to know first is the big 12's true intentions because of course they're going to say they released a statement this morning, and of course they're going to say what they said, and it's that these eight institutions are going to do their best to keep the Big Twelve going and whatever yada yada yada. I don't think we I don't think we really believe that. I think these teams are going to be looking to leave.
1: The next domino. Well, they need to be preserving their own interest as well, you know. But at the same time, if they can all collectively find a way to salvage this thing, there will be a team at some point, and I think this team is going to be West Virginia. And that will be what gets me into my scenario here. But I do think the Big 12... I've created a scenario where the Big 12 survives. Now, whether or not this actually happens, I've created a scenario where the Big 12 survives. But in your in your world, if the Big 12 falls, it, it probably comes when, if West Virginia decides to leave the conference. I will say,
2: that's exactly what I think. I think that the next domino will be West Virginia saying, you know what? We don't fit in the Big 12. Hello, Never have. H- hello, ACC. Hello, beautiful basketball. Because... Basketball takes a hit with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, and now the Big Twelve. It's Kansas and everybody else. West Virginia's in that second tier, but they can go to the ACC and really show what their basketball program is about. Also, they I are
1: a competitor in football on that front. I actually think you know, in some ways, things may. Get a little bit easier for them on the football front.
2: Well, I think the West Virginia depends on what division they go into. And I think the ACC would love them because of the brand they bring. Yeah. It, even though they aren't necessarily insanely successful, mainly Country because roads, they were in the Big East, couch
1: burners out in the woods. You're right.
2: <laughs> well, West Virginia leaves for the ACC. Then what happens with your scenario?
1: Well, I I've, I, I want to get into that, but we need to take a quick break here. When we come back, I'll tell you how it all shakes out. You're listening on the line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Let's head to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390 is the number to call. Shane on the line with us. Shane, how's it going? Doing good, man. How
4: you
1: doing? We're doing really well.
4: Yeah, all this talk about uh, about football, how, how it's going to affect football and all, but think about softball. We we'll, we'll be gaining Oklahoma in softball as well,
2: but and in this, and in baseball you've got Texas.
4: Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be crazy. What, what is it, I mean, what? Why even play these games now? I mean, like, who's going to beat the if they, if these two teams are or, or is this is going to be for real? This is for real. Then, like, what other conference has a has a, a chance in really almost every sport?
1: You know, oh. and, and this is like the SEC That's is tough. gaining. And I said this on Friday. The SEC is gaining the majority control of the NCAA, like that. That, and I'm, I'm afraid. And I don't like this at all. I've had enough time to digest it a little bit, and sure, everybody's like, yeah, it would be fun. It would be really fun to see these two teams in. But the thing is, it doesn't just stop at Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. Right. This is like a powder keg explosion, and it's like you know, it's like World War II in college football. Everybody's getting onto their sides and their corners, and they're getting ready to go after it. And it's like it doesn't just stop at Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC. The other conferences are going to try and get larger or – I've even seen – I know Barstool Sports had a, had a person tweet about this over the weekend that, like, Michigan and Ohio State apparently had had a conversation with the SEC, and it's like, well, what if the SEC gains more of a share, you know, and then college football just ceases to exist as we know it?
4: I, I, I really don't like it either. I mean, I, I, I don't like it. it. You know, we'll probably have to suck it up and get, get used to whatever this new landscape of all sports is going to be. It's not going to be how, we, how I remember growing up. It's not going to be like that ever again for multiple reasons. This is just the latest sticker, but I I don't agree with it. Uh, it, it. It might help the SEC, but for almost every team, it's not – I mean, what what does this help LSU? How does this help Kentucky? How does this help – I mean, does this help by, like, wait, we get a little bit extra money because these other two teams might, might win something and bring a, a share of their profit? Is that, is that
1: how we're gaining from this
2: situation? That is exactly, yeah. yes. <laughs> and it's, I think it's all kind of an ESPN thing. They they see where everyone wants to watch, and that's these powerhouse teams like Oklahoma and Texas and TV Alabama deals. and Georgia. Media right. rights. And the way we're headed is that's where all the money comes from is these media deals. And we see the lucrative numbers that the SEC got thrown out by ABC for the rights after CBS is gone. It, it, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of number is projected with these Oklahoma and Texas deals because I believe that is the reason that te- I think Texas A&M will ultimately vote yes. I think whenever it's officially announced that it will be said I don't think so. I think it'll be a unanimous decision whether or not because the point is it's, it's got to be 11 teams. And when I first heard the news, I thought, well, immediately there's three teams that come to mind that'll say no, and that's Arkansas, Texas A&M, and Missouri. But based off the reports, Texas A&M is the only one still
1: holding on to that no. And I think they have to to save face because yeah. they've been saying no well, all the time. They have money. They don't need. I, I, don't know, I don't
4: understand why Texas is coming. They they make their own money. Why why do they need a little bit a little bit bigger of you know? Well, what does this benefit Texas?
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at it in the 2018-2019 financial report that USA Today put out. That's the last one. And I'm sure most people have been keeping up with that until COVID messed everything up. But uh, Texas came in at first on that report in total revenue, eclipsing Texas A&M, who was second. Mm-hmm. I mean, Texas, to Texas A&M got
2: the money. <laughs> Texas is – everything in Texas is bigger, including their college football programs when it comes to money. So I agree with that point is that I'm not sure how beneficial it is for Texas to come because – I feel like they'll still be behind. They'll be behind Oklahoma. So they'll be behind Alabama. They'll be behind Georgia. And then is it them or Texas A and M? And I think that will depend on the year. So
4: are,
1: you think are, Texas would love Oklahoma? Are, 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 are some of are some of the SEC,
4: uh teams? Or, you know, would they consider going elsewhere? Because of, hey, what chance we have now of uh, bringing in two more powerhouses? What chance does Mississippi State or, or, or or uh, Ole Miss really have again to, to win something. I mean, uh, I, I don't see I don't see a big chance for a, for like the lower or, or maybe even it's gonna be so hard for even the likes of LSU and, and Auburn and uh, Tennessee if they ever come back. Florida, what chance do they really have against running it against uh, Georgia again uh, against Alabama, Texas, uh, you know Oklahoma?
1: You know, and I, I don't think any SEC teams leave at risk of getting thrust into irrelevancy, which is kind of the rest of college football. Like, I I don't think that the Big Ten or or, or the I, first of all, I'll just back up. I don't think any of them will have interest in leaving because I I think that the SEC does offer their institutions a lot of benefits that a lot of the other conferences don't. Because you look at the, what the Pac-12 and the That's Big right. Ten did, what the Big Ten did this past year, they they weren't even trying to play football. You know, like. I think there is a lot of benefits for these guys staying in the SEC, but this is definitely something I agree with you, Shane. This is definitely something that uh, I'm not happy about, despite the overwhelming f- tide that that seems to believe that this is a good thing for college football.
4: And the only way I can I can see that this working out would be if if we each each well, we split up, cannibalize kind of like a a, a a conference, and and, and you know about have four. You know, I hate to say it, super conferences of you know twenty teams or, wh- or whatever, eighteen teams, something like that. Um, and it's just basically your own league, and then you you're having like a real playoff. Maybe the playoff system works now because because if you don't come in first, you're not coming in first every year. Al- Alabama's not sorry, but they're not coming in first if we have you know three more big large, you know big teams coming in. Um, So, so kind of like four mini NFLs, yeah, right. Or, or like you get four or five, uh, you get four bids per conference now,
0: yeah, something like
4: that, you know, and and to make a real playoff, you know, or, or like three bids in a wild card, kind of like, hey, they, they, you know, I don't know, it's got everything has got to change. So, if this is the beginning of everything changing, so. A lot. This, this is the first step in I, 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 it is the I guarantee you. Give us like three or four years. It will look nothing like we remember college looking like, college uh, sports looking like. At least football for me. Uh, maybe, they, maybe some of the other sports can maintain. You know, whatever. But anyway, guys, that's all I got. Talk to you later. For
1: Appreciate it, Shane. That was Shane on the line with us. Here's my thing. I'm with him. I think it looks drastically different. Now, how different, whether or not this goes to an extreme where like they all break away from the NCAA and whatnot, um, you know, how extreme it gets kind of depends on what the response is by some of these other conferences. Does the Big Ten in a response now try and go grab some teams? Is that like who what is the next domino to fall? Because the domino has now fallen. What is the next one? Is it uh Big Ten taking out another one of these Big Twelve teams? Does West Virginia all of a sudden end up in the Big Ten, or does the ACC pluck one of these teams? Does Notre Dame all of a sudden say, "Hey, we're joining a conference," <laughs> you know? Like, and I don't even think that's a big domino. I think that's just a a casualty of all this. Notre Dame ends up in the ACC. What other ACC team? What other team does the ACC trying to pull? Because I think the ACC, it's very much so and the ACC and the SEC are very much so caught up in this keeping up with the Joneses thing. The ACC is always trying to keep up with the SEC. The, a- the ACC is already thinking right now, all right, who who can we go and pick? And if they're not right now, they're a little bit behind. Because other conferences, I, I, I'm hard-pressed to believe that other conferences aren't thinking about how they are going to approach the future.
2: I think the ACC has the best chance, better than the Big Ten, to keep up with the SEC. Because I feel like that their fan bases can keep them afloat for a while. Teams like... Virginia Tech and Virginia, they have huge fan bases, massive. North Carolina and Duke, they run the show in college basketball. And then you got Clemson in college football. Florida State, Miami, historically, they are great programs. So I think the ACC has the best chance to keep up with the SEC in this kind of timeline we're on.
1: I don't know. When we come back... I'm going to tell everybody what my scenario is to try and keep college football at least looking somewhat normal. I I shine a little bit of sunshine on your day.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. 30 minutes left in the show. Two segments left. I'm going to tell you why. I'm at least going to tell you how. I'm going to give you a scenario for how college football could be saved by all this and still have super conferences. But odds are this probably won't happen, but this is at least what I hope happens. Unfortunately, I think this is going to go to an extreme that is not what I'm laying out in front, but one can dream, right? So I've I've broke down this. Jacob, I want you to question me on this all the way through, okay? Grade me on this. I want you to come at me. Dylan gave me some heat on this. And I understand there were some hard decisions that I had to make, which was even more evidence why I was like, this may not happen. I tried to find a way to save it, okay? I did. I tried to. And this is the best thing I could do. This was me piecemealing it together and still having five Power 5 conferences, each with 16 teams in it. Because I think that's where we're heading. Or four with maybe even more than 16. So... The Big 12 is going to be a shell, of course, we know. There's eight teams left after what has occurred. And I think that there's going to be a domino that falls that sets even more stuff in motion. And other conferences will probably reach out to these teams in the Big 12 and say, and, and try and lure them out, right? And try and lure them to other conferences for them to try and get to their 16. And the main teams that you can see in the Big 12 really get reached out to Iowa State, I think it's one of those teams. West Virginia is another one of those teams. Oklahoma State. And then possibly Kansas, but I'm not as hot to Kansas because of the football situation. Basketball's great, but the Big Ten and the ACC already have great basketball. Why do they need to add another one, right? That could, that that could even run their league too if they could. Yeah, you know, I mean because they're running the Big Twelve, they never lose in the Big Twelve. Now I don't know if Kansas would just go into the Big Ten or the ACC and win the league every year, but it definitely it definitely I think makes it a little bit harder for some of their other teams to win it right than sure. what they're used to. So I was I was hard on Kansas, but there's one team that I do think would leave the Big 12 in all this, and it's West Virginia. West Virginia has a pedigree. West Virginia has a history. West Virginia very much so has this personality, despite the fact that they've been average and underwhelming at football over the last couple years, they at least have this persona, especially in basketball as well. I don't really know a whole lot about their baseball history, but the two sports that really matter here are football and basketball. West Virginia has this pedigree that like they feel like they should be like a decision maker, but they're really not, at least in the current status of the big 12. Like they're, they're kind of in this gray line between, you know, because they have some history, but they're really not a major player in college football either. Right. And so I was like, I I could see West Virginia in this scenario, not wanting to stick around to try and keep the big 12 afloat and try and look for an opportunity elsewhere to benefit because West Virginia's not benefited by staying in a big 12 and trying to save it. Right. And so that left me with two leagues for them to go into, the Big Ten or the ACC. And I thought it was likely for them to go into the ACC under this scenario for, A, basketball purposes. It allows them to show what they can do in basketball, as you were pointing out earlier. And I also think it's a relatively seamless league for them to slide into in football because of the heavy Big East presence that is there currently, yeah. which is Syracuse, Pittsburgh, Boston College, among other teams of the ACC. So I saw West Virginia... Going to the ACC, also saw Notre Dame joining the ACC amongst the current crew out of the ranks of the Independents for the ACC to easily get to 16 teams. Thoughts?
2: I love the West Virginia thing. As I said, that's how how my scenario begins is West Virginia leaving the Big 12. Here's the thing. There's not going to be any outcry over West Virginia leaving the Big 12 from West Virginia. I Guarantee those fans be like, okay, cool. Like, we
1: don't have to travel uh, across the country a thousand miles. They just do
2: not feel like a Big 12 team to me. They do feel like an ACC team because, like you said, the Big East presence. Bring back the backyard brawl, please. I want to see West Virginia and Pitt playing every year. West Virginia and Syracuse would be fun. Yes, it would.
1: Basketball as well. You get that back.
2: So, I, I love that. And I, Notre Dame. Obviously, they're I another
1: Big East presence they, from the basket from the old days of basketball. Of they course. could
2: join the Big Ten. I could see it, but I do think they're ACC for sure. I don't think there's really. I mean, we saw it last year. They played in the ACC for basketball because of they just had to, and I think they play the ACC football schedule. So it's just one of those things where they're kind of already built terms there. They're, they they know they've worked it out with these guys. Like, hey, we. Would be interested in joining your conference if we ever had to join a conference. So, I think that this this it's part going works well, well so far.
1: So far, so good. Here's where we might divert a little bit. Probably. I had to find a way for the Big Twelve to to survive, right? And that left me with institutions like Baylor, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, TCU, and Texas Tech, the remaining seven institutions in the Big Twelve. And I think there's all something for those teams to gain by staying in the Big Twelve. Okay, I'm trying to I'm trying to sell you on this right it's okay if you disagree but I'm trying to sell you on this and why they might should say there's something to gain those are easily the seven best teams in this conference already right and now you've seen Oklahoma State you've seen Baylor you've seen Kansas State now you've seen Iowa State all these teams have their time in the sun have their time trying to challenge but who always overshadowed them
2: Uh, Oklahoma and Texas
1: right now those teams are gone Okay, especially for Oklahoma State. Now they can run this league. There's an easier path for them to now be at the top and get the king's share of the Big 12 revenue. So why would they leave? Take Iowa State. They were a team that I thought maybe the Big 10 could go after. Why would Iowa State go to the Big 10 and all of a sudden be inserted as team number seven or number eight in their hierarchy? Why would they allow that to happen when Ames, Iowa has just now spent this much time working to get to the top? They have a chance to save this league by bringing in some of the best group of five teams that the country has to offer and I think there's enough out there for them to fill out at least a decent league. Bottom half of the league will be bad. Follow me, it will. It will look bad, but the the top 8 to 10 teams it will be serviceable. It'll get you through. So, it's the worst Power 5 league by far that I've put together here, but you can at least get there.
2: And that's my issue is that if it's going to be the worst they're going to see that, and they're going to know. And is it worth your while to take the risk to make the Big 12 decent, put them above the Pac-12, because the Pac-12 is obviously the conference that will be fourth in this scenario. And their goal would have to be, we need to be better than the Pac-12 so that we can say, hey, we have a chance to make this work. Whereas I don't think that Iowa State and Oklahoma State and those teams that – can drive with Kansas as well with basketball. I think they'll see. Listen, we can run this thing in football and basketball, but is it worth it? Is it worth it? Because sure, we're the dominant program, but against who? And I don't think that the money that'll be out there for them will be worth it in their minds. Because I don't think that Disney or CBS or Fox is going to be throwing a ton of money at them. To telephise their games. I, I think they'll be like, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll pay, I think Fox we'll will a little bit. I just and don't, ESPN plus is a thing. I just don't see the addition of a bunch of American athletic schools really making a huge impact. Sure, I think that those top tier group of five schools make a difference. But then when you're just whenever you're cherry picking, like so, oh, this this SMU team, sure, we want them because they fit the culture right it matters
1: so i look at the big 12 here though i also think what happens to the group of five in all this the group of five gets thrust into irrelevancy if your scenario for power conferences comes around. even into this yes. with five it's thrust into irrelevancy so there's a need these group of five teams are like please save us we're being thrown overboard help and the titanic is- of
2: college football is occurring and this is why yes exactly the titanic of college football because it doesn't just affect the top it goes all the way to the bottom of the barrel. It goes all the yep. way down to Division Three because I guarantee you these Group of Five conferences are like, well, SCS schools, who wants to be an FBS program?
1: Right, and so this is where I think you can get some of the best Group of Five teams to get into the Big 12, which is another way to save it. You're at least going to get these teams into it. They are going to be looking for that spot. So this is what I have the Big 12 looking like right now. Appalachian State, Baylor, BYU, Houston, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Liberty, Louisiana Lafayette. It's been a Big 12 slayer over the last couple mm-hmm. of years. Louisiana Tech, pretty much year-round the best team in the Conference USA. Navy, another team that I know was abysmal last year, but Ken Lolo has a good track record with Navy even at times ranked. Oklahoma State. SMU is the team that I don't like, but I would be willing to trade out for a Memphis. I don't have Memphis on here, but I would be willing to trade out Memphis for SMU. I just felt like SMU's geographical location, also the Dallas-Fort Worth area, allows you to strike up the rivalry with the next team of the list, TCU, Texas Tech, and then, of course, the 2017 National Champions, the UCF Golden Knights. <laughs> and I... And the That's thing not is, a bad, co- I mean, it's a bad power five worst. conference yeah, by far, but like <laughs> it, it would produce some entertaining. You're football. right,
2: you're right. And I think it's one, gosh, it's so tough because I like,
1: I mean, is it even really that much worse than the Big 12 right now, though? Come on, is it, you're not is wrong. it really like minus Oklahoma? Is this really that much worse? I think this is an improvement on what they have uh, I, right now. Let me
2: look at it on paper. I, I want to read
1: the changes. I'm just telling you, like, is it really? You minus, of course, you missed the star power with Oklahoma, but is adding UCF, Louisiana Lafayette, Appalachian State, three teams that are perennial nine win teams every single year that are some of the best group of five teams right now in college football. Is and, and Houston has the potential to be that as well. If is adding the best group of five teams in college football to the current Big Twelve right now minus Oklahoma. I think it made the Big 12 better. Yeah, probably. I'm just saying.
2: <laughs> well, as I read this, the teams that I, that I hate, there's three of them. It's Louisiana Tech, SMU.
1: I didn't like Louisiana Tech that much either, but and, I know and, who to put there. And probably Liberty. Okay. What, okay. Hold on a second. Like, like Liberty's Liberty. here to stay in football. I don't think they are. And they're not a bad basketball team either. They're, that's true. They are good at football and basketball, so they fill that void. What if I switched out La Tech or SMU for Coastal Carolina? What if we added Coastal Carolina Ooh. and Memphis to this group here, I didn't consider that. And we that. jettisoned out Louisiana Tech and SMU. Would you take that? Probably. But it's Coastal Carolina here to stay. That's the next question. Like, I think... Pick, your, pick okay. your battles
2: carefully here. So I know this is getting ahead of things. I know you say that Boise State is a shoe into the Pac-12, but I'd rather have them in the Big 12 than... Louisiana Tech it definitely makes the Big
1: 12 better you are correct because Boise State going to the Pac-12 doesn't really elevate the Pac-12's prestige or anything like that I just felt like it was the most close link Dylan you had something to say uh so yeah I I gave you a lot of heat for this off air and you said something about law tech I've I've been looking through Phil Stills magazine trying to find teams Western Kentucky is a team that I feel like should have been involved Over a few teams, maybe like over Tech. What do they have to offer, though? They they, they, They they, beat Alabama basketball last year. (laughs) (laughs) Hilltoppers. Florida Atlantic is another team I was thinking about. Definitely not. They don't offer anything outside of one good football season every three years. I can't get there. UAB? I can't there either. Not yet. yet. Uh, Once again, football. uh, Pretty much, they go in like like stretches of two years. I will say. UAB
2: look at their three head coaches that are three major sports and I could see them being in the conversation in several years so hey if this takes a while to really
1: well UAB is a good go, market though because Birmingham's a major college football market that's exactly so maybe you're on something with UAB well
2: because I mean Bill Clark is starting to build things and I mean I feel like he could have moved on by now and you've got Andy Kennedy for basketball and then baseball just hired Casey Dunn who had Sanford making NCAA tournaments a lot. I mean, I can see UAB eventually being a school that if we head to the four super conferences or five super conferences, they jump in one of them.
1: I thought, what are the odds we get a, like an like a FCS school? like in, in the North Dakota State, someone like State, that. Sam Houston. That's, that's a sexy. I love it. That's a sexy thought. I love that. North I Dakota just, State especially. I'm not as high on Sam Houston, but North Dakota State especially. See,
2: Sam Houston's got the history. They just haven't yeah. been as good lately. You know, I don't know. It's interesting because that I know for a fact that these FCS schools, if this all happens, they're, a lot of them are going to move up to the group of five. Now, what I wonder is who would be the team that jumps into one of the power conferences. Now, also, look at that hat. Cincinnati.
1: Oh, I got them in the Big Ten. Where are 10. they falling? I got them, I in, got the Big them 10. in the Big Ten alongside like. UConn. And the only reason why I took UConn was basketball. <laughs> I was the only, but, I, but I got down to it. I was like, all right, there's three teams geographically that could go into the Big Ten. And that was Liberty, Temple, and UConn. And I was like, all right, well, what do the other schools offer? Like, do the other schools offer anything football-related that really elevates the Big Ten? No. I mean, Liberty's a good football team. It doesn't offer the, the, the Big Ten anything really in football. And so then I'm like, all right, do they offer anything in – like What do they offer in the other sports? Who's got the edge in all of the other sports? And UConn's clearly the answer in that because of the basketball pedigree. They're not an awful basketball team. They're average right now, but they're still better than Temple and well, Liberty some years can put together a 24-win season. But still, it's UConn versus Liberty now when we're talking about revenue. And then baseball-related, UConn went to the tournament this year. So that's why I went UConn. I'm fine. Like you, right, If you guys are going to get mad at me so, on this scenario because I stuck UConn to the Big Ten, I just, fine. Okay. Put anybody you want there. I don't uh, care. Here, but it, it, Here's it. my
2: point. is All those Northeastern schools, it's just so impossible to gauge if they are going to drive any kind of money. Because look at Rutgers. Who cares about Rutgers? Yeah, look, no, you're right. I don't think anyone cares about UConn anymore. But they are basketball. adding stuff now in basketball. I just, I don't know. You're right about that. I just don't know, other than basketball, if you can, like, and I think barely in basketball, you can say they, they drive any kind of yeah. anything. So and I, 500
1: I got, team at conference play. That's what I'm saying. It's just that,
2: sure, if this happened 10 years ago, right after Kimba, right before the, the Napiers and, and the other guards, sure, I think that UConn's basketball program does hold that kind of weight.
1: I but think, I don't think it does right now. I think the reality is, I put this on paper. I said, if this is going to happen, this is probably what it looks you're,
2: like. You're right. That I think that UConn would likely get into a conference. I, I don't know if it would be the Big Ten. It could be the ACC as well. But I, you're right. I will say that I think that UConn would find themselves in a conference like that.
1: But unfortunately, we've poked enough holes to suggest this probably will not happen. And so that was the sake of this exercise here. Yeah. It's to show folks, unfortunately, and like Shane's call... I think college football is going to be extremely, like on the extreme side of the spectrum of just drastic change. Like, I I don't know what's in store for us, but one thing's for sure, these Power 5 programs, they're trying to get an increased market share. And why is that? You know, I, I think it's to personally one day get total autonomic, a, autonomous control over their own product, which currently they have almost all of it, but not all of it right because they're still getting hit by the ncaa on sanctions for whatnot and a governing body i think they want to be their governing body at some point
2: i can't remember if i said this off air on air but basically i think all these scenarios we're coming up with and we're thinking of all these possibilities i think some we're going to be spot on with yeah, and so others we're just going to be we're not going to remember this or we're not going to think of this at all and man what does it look like
1: at? a year from now
2: right what does it look like next week honestly i think <laughs> next year will be about the other schools looking for new homes I think that's what we're going to see next year. Being I don't
1: that- know. We're about to get into fall camp. All this stuff's going to die down during the football season. I think right, we'll still a little bit of next year. Oh, you mean other Power 5 teams, right. not Group of 5. I got right. you. Let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up the show here on the Monday edition here on On The Line. Back on, on the Line, Noah Gardner and Jacob Hillman wrapping up your Monday edition of the show. Jacob, is that a tweet that you can share for on air or is that not safe for radio?
2: No, no, it's very safe. <laughs> but it, it goes on, ta- it's talking about basketball and, and how th- this, is, this is focused on the SEC. But an unintended, this is Aaron Torres from Fox Sports. The unintended consequence of the Texas-Oklahoma to the SEC move. After half joking about it for years, the SEC really will be the best conference in college. shows. He's obviously referring to Hashtag SEC basketball fever. That and that was before Auburn had Bruce Pearl and is it made it though, the final four. Well, do those said,
1: teams actually? Because Texas is the biggest disappointment in basketball.
2: He's, he backs it up with OU plus Texas. Eight of the league sixteen coaches have made a final four because Lonnie Kruger and then Chris Beard. Fourteen to sixteen, at least one six, at least one Sweet Sixteen. That's that is nice. impressive. That's nuts. Yeah, he said that's da da da. You can't insane. say that about ACC. No, you can't. And I mean, look at the powerhouses last year. <laughs> they weren't very successful. So I really think that basketball is kind of one of those, is a sport where I think they take the next step. Football, we know that C is top
1: of the pack. You know, I guess the Big somehow 10. in the midst of all this, you're forgetting that baseball just got even more wild because but, I was yeah. looking at the pod system, well, Shane and said it said had it Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU, and one other te- like Arkansas in the same pod, and my jaw hit the floor. I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> and, how do all of these teams make it to the NCAA tournament?" And
2: Shane said it too. <laughs> they can, though, because I think I think I saw a stat about softball where I think like the last several national champions are just SEC because of Oklahoma being such a powerhouse. You look at just every other sport, and you're like, okay, this makes SEC better. It's just that simple.
1: You got about a minute left. All right, barstool sports. You saw the tweet. Mm-hmm. McGuire tweeted it. Ohio State, Michigan, some other teams. I don't, I don't buy it. No. I mean, I'm sure Not that one bit. I, I mean, maybe something. Ha- maybe like a discussion happened, but, but I don't know how serious it was. But like, what are the odds you get a college football? Thirty-two of the best brands. And you get a mini NFL, or not a mini NFL? You get NFL 2.0, right? Like you get a second NFL. And it's not be- going <laughs> to be called that. It's the co- it's the college football. It's the CFL, the college football league, not the Canadian football league. This the college football. It, league.
2: If if that happened, came to fruition, Ann Arbor I'd and Columbus cool
1: would burn to the ground. I'd be cool with it. No. You know why? Just b- breaking it out like that. I, I I think that's I think that would be kind of cool. Thirty-two nah. teams Wish of you the best brands. Well, let's talk about it tomorrow. You'll be back tomorrow. I will Land be. still away on his church retreat. Let's talk about it tomorrow. I like Interesting that. conversation to break down. Drive with Bill Cameron coming up here after us, four to six p.m. Franklin Tyron Autos, where they've got their remote show. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.